Good morning. It's good to be with you all today. I'm the Reverend Nick Cable, and I serve as minister of this congregation. And whether this is your first time here or you've been coming for weeks, months, years, or decades, it's great that you are here with us today. I hope that this beautiful weather is something you enjoy the rest of the day. After the service, uh, Cynthia and I will greet you as, as you leave um, out of the sanctuary, and I hope you'll uh, have grab some coffee, perhaps some treats, enjoy our beautiful grounds, um, say hello to someone new, and just um, appreciate the benefit of being in community. Uh, a few important things that are going on today. The first, um, and this is on the back of your order of service, one of those things is um, that we're going to be having this um, Sukkot uh, festival uh, with um, uh, our Hebrew uh, Jewish uh, friends. Uh, Sharei Shalom, and it'll be out on the patio, and it'll learn a lot more about that uh, ritual, that um, that festival, the fall festival. Um, and so I hope you'll enjoy some coffee and food out there, um, and I, I think it'll be a wonderful way to learn more about other religious traditions. Um, you can learn more about um, UUCCI within the, the hardcover, and I hope that you will um, leave us some information so we can follow up with more uh, about what's going on in the life of the congregation. Finally, whoever you are and wherever you are on your spiritual journey and whomever you love, you are most welcome here. This reading was written by Starhawk. We are all longing to go home to some place we have never been, a place half remembered and half envisioned, we can only catch glimpses of from time to time. Community. Somewhere there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere a circle of hands will open to receive us, eyes to will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us, whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing, a circle of friends. Someplace we can be free. We've got some things to do. I would like for you, you to open the box for me. Just lift it up there. Uh-oh. Can you, can you reach in here and grab that? Okay. There's one. There's still more. Would you come and get one? Here, I'll hand it to you. And there's some things that are too big for the wonder box. So we have another one here. And I need one more helper. Okay, can you unwrap those? There's a nice gifts. Wow, what do we have? What do you think that is? A church. Do you recognize that church? Is it this church? It's this church, right. What do you have? 
person. Is a person. A, it's a man. A man. You don't know who that is, do you? Now, well, we're going to hear about him. What do you have? Is a church in 1969 to 1979. Oh, wow. Okay. That's very specific. Okay. And what do you have? A Okay. So there's a story. Let's take these wrappers and I will move them. Reverend Nick is going to be a big helper. So there's a story that goes with those, but the story has an order. So we're going to have to move you around a little bit. You are perfect right there. Would you hold it up so the people up there can see them? And if I can find my little clicker here. Did that work? There, that's your picture. You may sit down if you want, because this story is going to take a little bit of time. And I need you to trade places with him. So if you'll come over there and hold your picture. And, and you're perfect, right in the right spot. How did you know how to get in the right spot? It just happened. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, this story is kind of based upon an old story that some of you know. Does anybody ever remember the story? about Goldilocks and the three bears. Do you remember it? Okay. Well, when Goldilocks, she got into Papa Bear's bed and there was something wrong. What was wrong? It's too big. It was too big and it was hard, right? It was too hard. And then she got into Mommy Bear's bed and it was too Soft. Too soft. And then she got into the, the baby bear's bed and it was just right and she fell asleep. <laughs> she felt really at home. So I'm going to tell a story about the UU Fellowship and the three churches. So we're going to start with this church and we have an artifact from that church. It's this, this sign over here. When we were in that church, um it was a nice big church but we did not have very much money and we didn't have a minister we didn't have an re director we didn't have a music director and even though we liked it it was just too big and we couldn't afford to keep it going so we had to go look for another church So we found this church, and it was a mess. Nobody had used that church for a long time. It needed a lot of love. So we worked really hard. We cleaned it. We painted But we had some good partners. The partners were the Hebrew congregation. They actually built a new kitchen for us in the basement of this church. And in addition to that, the Hebrew congregation paid to have these two nice tapestries made for us. So we have an artifact from that church. And those are the exact shape and size of the stained glass windows in this church. 
And if you look very closely at the symbols at the top, the one on the left has a star of David, which is a symbol for the Hebrew congregation. And it's hard to see, but you have to look very closely. If you look at the one on the right side, inside that white circle, there's a chalice, which is a symbol that we use. Well, we got to have a little bit more money and we hired a minister, but it was only like one quarter time. It's like once a month. But then we got a little more money and we hired a different minister for half time. So we started growing and people heard about all the great things that were going on in this church. And pretty soon it was full every Sunday. And when we had to have a meal and we go down in the basement, we were crowded. So we've got to do something. So we sent our leaders out to look, and they looked and they looked and they could not find the right church. So what did they do? They bought a piece of property and they built this church. And that was 20 years ago. So, yeah, let's see here. There we are. So, on the very last day that we were in the last church, the 8th Street Church, this gentleman, it was Tom Orr, he was one of the original founders of the congregation. And he decided, you know, there's a lot of people that are very sad because we're leaving this church. And it's a very special place. But he said, I think we need to have a song for this occasion. So he wrote this song. And usually... We sing this at the end of our service when we're all done, and you guys are at your uh, classes. So we are going to sing it for you so you know what this song sounds like. You all have to help. <laughs> So we're going to talk about this song. This is our fellowship hymn. The second line I want to talk about first, Tom knew it was important to remember our traditions, to remember this story about the people that came before us. In the second line, or third line, he uses the word decades. What it can you tell me what a decade is? Ten years. Ten years. Okay, so I want everybody to stand up. If you have been coming to UUCCI or the fellowship before it for ten years or more. Okay. So these, now, 
I would like for you to remain standing if you have been with us for two decades or more. Okay. Some people had to think about it. <laughs> okay. If you've been with us for three decades or more, continue to stand. Oh, it's gotten kind of thinner. Okay. Now the Kevits are, are communicating to figure out just when it was. <laughs> She's figured it. Okay. If you've been here for four decades or more, oh, there's just three of us. <laughs> okay. I want to look at that first line. Yep. A special place. Let's see. There we go. This was a picture that was taken outside the 8th Street Church before we left it. And there's many people in that picture that are still members of the congregation. Uh, Marty and Linda and the Martins. Yes, Carlo is there. It was a special place, not because of the building. It was a special place because of those people. And this is a special place because of all of you. So, hey, can you shake my hand? You are special, and I'm glad you're here. You are special, and I'm glad you're here. You are special, and I'm glad you're here. This is going to take too long. Would you turn to somebody behind you and tell them that they are special, and you're glad they are here? <laughs> The generous spirit of this congregation continues each and every Sunday in all the ways we show up in willingness to do a time for all ages, in um, sharing music and singing and uh, working with our children in their classes. All the ways that you show up makes this place possible. And your generosity financially is also a critical way that we keep the lights on, that we have wonderful staff and programs to support the life of this congregation and have for the past 55 years. Uh, this month and uh, turning into November, we are uh, entering our usual time of the year when we ask folks to make a pledge to support the congregation in the following year, in 2023, sort of an indication, a commitment of what we might expect in the coming year. And um, every week this month, we are inviting someone from the congregation to come and talk a little bit about generosity. And uh, what better uh, person today when we're talking about the history of this congregation uh, than having Lynette Farless to come forward to share some reflection. So you might now understand why I feel so comforted when I enter the sanctuary and I see the tapestries hanging on the wall from our 8th Street building. And you see the sign welcoming us that maybe doesn't quite match what we do currently in our order of service, 
but it's been with us since our 11th Street Church. So as you enter the building today, I'm wondering what you saw. You might have admired the stained glass circle and the tower. Did you know that previous holiday market funds provided an opportunity to respond to a request by Phyllis Crow to add a stained glass creation to our entryway? Many people from our 11th and 8th Street churches thoroughly enjoyed the stained glass and the windows. Donna Stanley heard Phyllis's request and worked with this congregation and glass artist Cindy Underwood from North Vernon to bring the stained glass into this space. The Green Sanctuary Committee, including John Fisher, Barry Kastner, and a host of other people, encouraged us to consider placing solar panels on our roofs. And with the donations of many, and along with a larger anonymous one, the solar panels became a reality. I noted Michael Griven checking the data last Sunday when he was here greeting. Each Sunday morning, as I settle in on the same chairs that you're sitting in, I take time to look around the room and note the connections of many former members and congregants, friends of UU's. Try that now. Turn your head, look around. What do you see hanging or being in this space? So how do you connect with this building or space when you enter it every week? Whose gifts helped you enjoy your Sunday mornings at UUCCI? Perhaps you turn to the uplifting music of our talented pianist and note the sounds coming from our baby grand piano that were donated by Nancy and Jack Head. Nancy played the piano and Jack donated the piano when they moved from Brown County. You might note the lectern, the tables, the cabinets, especially the cabinets that the Hebrews store their Torah in. The furnishings committee, at that time guided by Mary Lou Orr, connected with Carl Fox, who lived just down the street, to build them for this space. Each Sunday, we light a chalice. Up there. Yep. <laughs> That's our second one. The first one had a mishap. So Bob Pulley, the sculpturer, made us another one and donated it for us to use each Sunday morning. Perhaps the weaving on the back wall might catch your eye. You know, why the sun catcher? Why the weaving? It comes from the imagination and direction of Amy Mueller and many others who encouraged our children during peace camp 
And then also during a congregational meeting on Sunday morning to interconnect with one another. The collective we created that piece of art. Perhaps your thread is hanging there too. When our wonder box appears, which is a gift from Nick, don't you just break into a smile as the children walk up to the front of the room? Reverend Nick sits at the wonder box on a special bench. Do you ever wonder who painted that bench? It's pretty awesome. It was donated by an unknown person. And the youth group at that time, we were in the 8th Street Church, decided to paint the paint to paint the bench and then give it to the children's, they called it the children's hour. I think they thought the, the time was a little longer. Um at that time, Lizzie Wade, Kelly Phillips, the Gifford Boys, Lucas Clin Lucas Clinanus, and perhaps Mike Aramirol were people that painted that bench. By the way, the chair you're sitting on every day, the the uh, upholstery was also chosen by the furnishings committee to kind of match the carpet. So you might look at the two and see if you think they did a pretty good job. So this week has been a lot of fun for me. I've connected with a lot of you, you friends, and I thank them for their legacies of thoughtfulness and generosity. Their dream of having a permanent building that was new and a full-time minister. It took decades came to fruition. It happened because of their vision and belief in our ability to continue to exist. For me to be a part of UUCCI means being a partner and shaping what is happening as we move forward together. Reverend Nick's guidance continues to call us forward. How does our congregation touch your life? What will you do with your time, talent, and financial support to help with that call? Perhaps in a few years, you'll be the one who is remembered by those who come after you as they enter this space. In my experience, good luck and the blessings of life are often the result of being in the right place at the right time with the right people. And the most important thing, in your right mind. These thoughts about luck and timing came to me while reviewing the history of our UU fellowship. The small group of friends who first gathered in the late 1960s to share their common search for spiritual and intellectual knowledge. I wish I had been lucky enough to be here with them back then. I can only imagine or guess how my life would have been better guided through my vulnerable 20s. 
Here was a group of four or six friends whose numbers slowly grew to include high school teachers, university instructors, engineers, artists, musicians, medical professionals, and entrepreneurs who discovered they had similar questions about religion, philosophy, science, and sociology that a traditional church could not adequately address. They were critical thinkers who listened to each other, who invited each other to give presentations on what they knew, and who invited guest speakers to inspire them in new directions of thought, caring, and action. The fellowship was also a social group. They often invited their guest speakers to, them, to join them at a restaurant after the service and continue discussions initiated during the service. Fellowship families met at each other's homes for picnics or barbecues, one even offering boat rides on his neighborhood lake. Current thinking now tells us that a social connection is more than just for fun. It is important to our mental health. We need a close, meaningful connection that goes beyond what we find at work or even within our family. The caring community we now have here at UUCCI began with the seeds of connection provided by the original fellowship. I, for one, am extremely grateful for our IU pioneers, excuse me, UU pioneers, and the culture of caring they cultivated for us to reap today. Our reading today is an excerpt from an essay written by Wendell Berry, and it's called The Work of Local Culture. For many years, my walks have taken me down an old fence row in a wooded hollow on what was once my grandfather's farm. A battered, galvanized bucket is hanging on a fence post near the head of the hollow, and I never go by it without stopping to look inside. For what is going on in that bucket is the most momentous thing I know, the greatest miracle that I have ever heard of. It is making earth. The old bucket was hung there through many autumns, and the leaves have fallen around it, and some fallen into it. Rain and snow have fallen into it, and the fallen leaves have held the moisture, and so have rotted. Nuts have fallen into it or been carried into it by squirrels. Mice and squirrels have eaten the meat of the nuts and left the shells. They, had, they and other animals have left their droppings. Insects have flown into the bucket and died and decayed. Birds have scratched in it and left their droppings or perhaps a feather or two. This slow work of growth and death, gravity and decay, which is the chief work of the world, has by now produced in the bottom of the bucket several inches of black humus. I look into that bucket with fascination because I am a farmer of sorts and an artist of sorts, and I recognize there is an artistry and a farming far superior to mine or to that of any human. I have seen the same process at work on the tops of boulders in a forest, and it has been 
at work immemorially over most of the land surface of the world. All creatures die into it, and they live by it. However small a landmark the old bucket is, it is not trivial. It is one of the signs by which I know my country and myself. And to me, it is irresistibly suggestive in the way it collects leaves and other woodland sheddings as they fall through time. It collects stories, too, as they fall through time. It is irresistibly metaphorical. It is doing a passive, it is doing in a passive way what a human community must do actively and thoughtfully. A human community, too, must collect leaves and stories and turn them into an account. It must build soil and build that memory of itself in lore and story and song, which will be its culture. And these two kinds of accumulation of local soil and local culture are intimately related. In the woods, the bucket is no metaphor. It simply reveals what is always happening in the woods if the woods is let alone. Of course, in most places in my part of the country, the human community did not leave the woods alone. It felled the trees and replaced them with pastures and crops. But this did not revoke the law of the woods, which is that the ground must be protected by a cover of vegetation and that the growth of the years must return or be returned to the ground to rot and build soil. A good local culture in one of its most important function is a collection of the memories, ways, and skills necessary for the observance within the bounds of domesticity of this natural law. If the local culture cannot preserve and improve the local soil, then, as both reason and history inform us, the local community will decay and perish, and the work of soil building will be resumed by nature. A human community, then, if it is to last long, must exert a sort of centripetal force holding local soil and local memory in place. Wendell Berry invites us to consider the third type of rootedness we find ourselves connected to in this life. Beyond our ancestral roots and those connections we feel with traditions and people throughout time, the final type of roots we will explore this Sunday is our local roots, our congregational roots. How does this place of our being, the very ground of our being, shape us throughout our lives? This will help in our ongoing orientation, both as individuals and as a community. It will also help as we continue through this fall sermon series, a journey of communal preparation for the adventures we will take, we will all take, during our first sabbatical together, which will begin with the coming new year and last four months. Wendell Berry is one of my favorite writers, and as one who writes primarily about the earth and our relationship to it, he will be a perfect guide for this sermon. 
For in the reading this morning, he reminds us that we are in fact both like the earth and of the earth in our shared methods of creation, of our memories and our cultures, our stories of the past and our dreams for the future. He draws a parallel between a bucket of all things, a bucket and the work of nurturing human community, arguing, quote, the bucket is doing in a passive way what a human community must do actively and thoughtfully. A human community, too, must collect leaves and stories and turn them into an account. It must build soil and build that memory of itself in lore and story and song, which will be its culture. One of the things that will help us thrive as a congregation is honoring that we do have a culture. We do have a culture at UUCCI. Over the past 55 years of our existence, this culture has changed, surely, but there are also elements that have stayed true throughout. Understanding and honoring our cultural realities as a congregation can help us to persevere and extend our liberal religious community for generations to come. So, how do we go about understanding our local roots as a congregation? Well, I didn't really have to do a sermon because they really did a wonderful job, all of the participants in the service and the song we just sang. But Barry invites us to look to our stories through word and song, through artifacts and ritual, through our behaviors as a community in the past and presently. Before we can dive into these stories and give uh, and gifts the res and resources they can offer us today it is important to note who is in the room and perhaps online this morning. Now let's consider our 55 year history. I have a different breakdown than decade, but let's consider our 55 year history as a congregation div by dividing into three eras, not five decades, but three eras as a congregation. I will call these eras the fellowship era, the minister dabbling era and the goaler era. The fellowship era would come, uh, would be from our founding in 1968 until 1989 when you hired your first part time minister. The minister dabbling era would be from that point, 1988, until you moved out here and got settled into this space about 2003 which is also when the Reverend Dennis McCarty began serving as your first full-time minister. Then finally, the Goler era would be essentially from when Reverend McCarty began shortly after you moved here, so about 2003, to the present. Okay, so does that make sense? We have 1967 to 1988, 1988 to 2003, and 2003 to the present. It's a roughly equal divisions in years 21, 15, 19, respectively. Yet these divisions are also connected to some significant milestones and changes in the life of this congregation. Being a lay-led fellowship, dabbling with the idea of hiring professional ministers, and finally having a more forever home built to suit your needs with a full-time minister and growing with staff out here on Goler Boulevard. Okay. So before we divide up, think about which time frame you began attending UUCCI, including if that's today or in the last few weeks. Okay, so how many of you began attending UUCCI in this Goler era? So that would be raising your hand from 2022 back to 2003. Okay, look around. Great, great. Excellent. Okay, hands down. 
So that is a good majority. That is a good, very high majority of you. How many of you began during the minister dabbling era? That would be 1988 to 2003. Okay, so fewer, fewer. Okay, and then how about uh, the final, uh, the fellowship era officially, when you were completely lay led from 1967 to 1988? Please raise your hand. Excellent. Okay, you can put your hands down. And of course, all the members of our community are here, aren't here this Sunday, and uh, we don't know who's watching on Zoom. But the ratios uh, we've seen today roughly track, as I expected, the data from our 2022 congregational survey. And by the way, thank you. Thank you for those who took the time to fill that out. So why does this little exercise matter? Well, it matters because when and how we join this community, or you could say when we jump into the bucket, affects our understanding of the community, of its culture and its purpose. And if, say, only a small number of you were around in those pre-minister days when you were truly a fellowship, then it may be hard to tell the stories or to share the memories and extend the culture of who we were at that time and notice, perhaps, how a thread could be drawn as our culture and community has, have navig have, has navigated the past half century in Indiana. It can be difficult. The title of the sermon calls us back to the fellowship era of our history and that time in history for not only us, but for a wider religious tradition throughout the country, Unitarian Universalism, and before that, the American Unitarian Association. There's actually an era that not only describes the church, uh, the, our chapter of community life, but also one that characterizes these other movements. And you don't have to believe me, there is a fascinating book written on the subject. I expect there are many uh, written on the subject, but the one that I've been reading lately is titled The Fellowship Movement, A Growth Strategy and Its Legacy, written by Holly Albrick. Besides having a great first name, Holly Albrick tells the story of a two-decade-long period of experiment. It was a two-decade-long, literally thought of as an experiment, where over 300 lay-led fellowships, that's just a group of people that without a minister, 300 lay-led fellowships were organized across the United States. The theory was that Wherever you could find 10 or so individuals in a local area, and they have some similar interests as, as uh, Cynthia beautifully articulated, a fellowship could be born. And that is exactly what happened uh, for us as a congregation. According to our official history book, uh, Celebrating 50 Years, written by Marshall Walker a few years back, a small group of friends gathered on or around May 1st. 1967. This was the second attempt after the tragedy a few years before, but on May 1st, 1967, officially a UU fellowship, our UU fellowship journey began. These people included folks like Kent Aldershoff, Phil and Jan Sorensen, Bill Lyon, Harry and Bonnie Baia, and uh, excuse me, Al and Barbara Pilon, Evelyn Cleland Sanborn and her teenage daughter, Donna, who then became Donna Coleman, Miriam Richards, and of course, our dear Tom and Mary Lou Orr. 
It is important to lift up these names, for it is thanks to these individuals who, perse who persevered in starting a fellowship that would lead to who we have become today in 2022, and to each of you who have pulled us forward to today. In Holly Albrecht's book, she describes some of the characteristics of the fellowships that were popping up across the country. She highlights four qualities, and I want to see if you recognize any of these. First, there was, quote, a preference for an informal, highly intellectual, and highly participatory participatory, sometimes even combative worship style. Second, fellowships often embodied, quote, a highly humanistic theology that showed intolerance toward other theological understandings. Third, there was often, quote, an ambivalent attitude towards newcomers and a reluctance to increased membership. Holly goes on to say, expressed more positively, many fellowships preferred to remain small and intimate. And finally, fourth, fellowships often held, quote, a negative or ambivalent attitude toward any kind of authority, but particularly clergy and the UUA. In most cases, she goes on to say, this attitude is coupled with a lack of a historic sense of connection to the larger faith movement. All right, to summarize, a thread of culture can be woven through the fellowship movement, not only of us, but of our religious tradition that could be defined by a deeply collaborative, religiously intellectual, tightly bonded and highly autonomous group of liberal religious people in one local space. These qualities have shaped much of our history as a fellowship, which was later renamed controversially as a congregation. And I believe each can be seen as a gift to us now in the present day. You see, there is something truly liberating about being collaborative, thoughtful, intimate, and autonomous as a community. And while you can flip these qualities towards their negative, I think we have been doing a good job as of late to metabolize these historic characteristics for the better. Perhaps whether you were around in, those in, the, in our fellowship era or not, you resonate with some of these qualities that underpin our history. Or maybe one of these advertisements promoted by the fellowship office of the, of the day uh, caught your eye. So this is, this, this is a legitimate uh, advertisement out there. Unitarianism is a way of life, life of vigorous thoughts, constructive activity, of generous service, not a religion of inherited creeds, revered saints, or holy books. Can you hear some of the qualities I just named? Or here's another ad, this one a little more kitschy and memorable. In religion, freedom is our method. Reason is our guide, fellowship is our spirit, character is our test, service is our goal. But advertisements alone don't tell the whole story of a fellowship, whether ours or anyone's. The story of the fellowship, the return of our fellowship awareness, and harnessing these gifts will be possible by telling and retelling, receiving and passing forward the stories of our congregation. 
through story, song, and lore, through picture, written word, and oral history, through commitment, care, and resilience, we are able to remember who we are, who, who we were, who we are, and witness the line that connects us on this journey. During our sabbatical, we will each take time to engage the stories of our local history as a congregation or fellowship, or as a geographic area, as a community seeking a robust future here in Indiana. You will have a couple of retreats planned for all of you to attend related to these themes, including one that will help you gather the stories of this congregation and put them into a bucket that may uh, preserve and transform them into source and resource for our journey ahead. Part of my sabbatical will be to explore the stories of this part of the country, of the city, and its history of the soil upon which I now live my life and engage in shared ministry with all of you. Scott Russell Sanders says, quote, the geography of the land and the geography of the soul are one terrain. The geography of the land and the geography of the soul are one terrain. In journeying more deeply into where we are, where we've been, and where we are headed, we would all do well. We would all do well to consider the land upon which we nurture community. Perhaps it is in that relationship between spirit and place and the spirit of place that we will come to remember who we are and why we are still here. May our journey not forsake the path that has brought us here. May it fortify us and send us on our way. May it be so, and amen. If the local culture cannot persevere, preserve and improve the local soil, then as both reason and history inform us, the local community will decay and perish, and the work of soil building will be resumed to the earth. A human community then, if it is to last long, must exert a sort of centripetal force holding local soil and local memory in place. May it be so, and amen. <laughs>